Vlad here, the host of Burgundy Radio. The following episode was recorded prior to the rematch game in Columbus last Saturday between the Avalanche and Blue Jackets at Nationwide Arena. Unfortunately, this episode did not get published prior to the outcome of that game. As a result, this conversation may seem slightly dated given the outcome of that contest, but we hope you enjoy this episode all the same. We thank you for listening, and with that, let's start the show. This episode of Burgundy Radio isn't brought to you by Life Alert, though it probably should be. Help! We've fallen and can't get up! For Borjak, he's got room. Centering pass blocked away by Byron. It's up and out of the zone, and here's Nazem Kadri. He's got a two on one with Byron. Kadri racing down the right wing. In to Byron, he shoots and scores! What a play by Nazem Kadri, and what a read by Byron to jump into it to give the Evs a 2 0 lead. And after 22 years, Greetings, one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Hey, Earl, how have you been? I've been wonderful, Vlad. Thank you. And accompanying us tonight is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how goes it? Pretty good. So it's been a little while since all of us have gathered around the digital airwaves to discuss all things Avs. Back at that time, the Avs were about to embark upon a stretch of four games in eight days and wrapping up their three-game road trip at Tampa to face the Lightning. So to briefly recap, uh, they defeated the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Lightning by a score of 4-3. to K.L. McCarr getting the shootout winning goal. And... Something that we haven't seen very much of this season for various reasons. The entire top line chipped in with goal scoring. What do you two remember from a game that feels so very long ago? Yeah, I guess it was almost two weeks at this point. Um, I remember they did blow the lead. So um, that was a little distressing, but it just... Of course, everything feels better when you win at the end. And it was cool to see McCarr uh, score in the shootout. Uh, I believe that was his first ever career shootout attempt. So um, pretty cool for him. And then it did sort of kickstart him playing a little bit better. I don't, there's theories if his wrist still hurts. Was it confidence? Was it just because he hadn't played and he he sort of needs to get himself going so it was nice to see him put the cherry on top and then they finally got a win because i remember in our last show you know it's a little depressing talking about three losses so um yeah <laughs> you know just to get a win and end the road trip on a high note um beat the defending champs all that was was perfect yeah, I mean, I think they needed that game for for confidence. the The Florida and Washington games went really poorly. Um, there just wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of positives to take out of it because they, at that point they still were so inconsistent. <clears throat> it's just so hard to diagnose what's wrong or how to fix it. And I, I think the Tampa game, even though they were you know they were still pretty inconsistent uh, they showed that 
they could raise their level enough to compete. And you know, the, that started a, a little bit better play. And over the, the, the five games since, they've, they've really you know, done a, a lot more with the little they have. I believe that was the first time we got to see Darcy Kemper in shootout action for the Avs this season. Yeah, I think he did all right. I, if I remember correct, I know he let in at least one. I don't, I don't remember if it was two, but he looked okay. I guess um, probably average. We'll see. The Avs tend to not have a lot of shootouts, so it, we might not yeah. see it a whole lot. Because they lose a lot in overtime. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> um, yeah, that it, I, for whatever reasons, it just it they've they've never been able to get into shootouts a lot, and I, and I think that's fine. Um, it's it's not a place where you want to get a lot of points because, especially with the new sort of way they weight wins. Um, a shootout win is is even less important. So it's good for it's, a moral victory, though. We were happy when it happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it that after three losses in a row, it was you know that that was a, a fine way to win a game. Um, but you just you sort of look at the standings right now, and it's just like they're a tick behind the other teams with the same record because one of their wins was. There's a little shootout. bit of a uh, feeling out process to kind of gauge how Darcy Kemper handles shootouts because I think in our with uh, Philip Grubauer and before him Semyon Varlamov, uh, perhaps it might not be too far of a stretch to say there would be a little bit of uh, clenched teeth and clenched hands. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's just so much luck. It's honestly, I think the goalies are guessing. Um. They can make educated guesses, but you know, at the end of the day, if 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 the guy does something you're not expecting and does it correctly, it's going to go in. Um, I think it's sort of know. interesting to follow who's good in the shootout and who isn't. Um, as far as shooters, yeah, like they yeah. selected Berkey to go. I think he'd only had two career attempts, and um. Like usually the pure shooter types are not the shootout guys. It's usually the ones that have a move are the ones that do better. So with going in with Makar, you just really had no idea what exactly if he was going to be good at it or not. And obviously you need more than a sample of one, but just even convert at at that point is, you know, a big credit to him. Yeah, just looking at the list of all the av shooters from that uh, shootout uh, series of rounds. Yeah, Nathan McKinnon, who his shot was saved. Mikko Rantanen scored in the shootout. Burakovsky missed. Planiskog scored. Kadri missed. And Makar with the game winner. I remember thinking, like, oh my god, who did they go to if, if, if it keeps going past Makar? Like, you know, are we getting into Joe's comfort? <laughs> yeah, Sometimes exactly. those are fun. Like, I remember when Max Tell but one shootout was like 10 rounds in or something. And it's great to see like those guys do it, but you also just kind of want to get it done with your talent. Like Miko's all Miko and Lander both are usually really good. McKinnon seems to be dependent on whatever move he chooses. Like 
it could either work or not. Like when it doesn't work, it just looks like an awful attempt. And then when it works, it <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but when it works, you're just like, oh yeah, well that was Nathan McKinnon, that was easy. But yeah, it's just sort of like he picks the move, and then if the goalie reads it, it's just like, <laughs> well, put that one in the bin. Point about luck. I think one of those goals that the Avs had ended up hitting the post and bouncing in off uh, Vasil- Vasilevsky to actually count. Yeah, Miko's, yeah. That would be Miko with yep. the butt goal. All right. <laughs> and that would be the last of the top line that we would see all uh, contribute in one game as, as well as that, because three nights later, the Avs would come home to face the pre-Jack Eichel-era Vegas Golden Knights in a game that could only be described as hockey's version of The Walking Dead. And the Avs would lose that game by a score of 3-1. Uh, Makar uh, being the only goal scorer that night. Now, I missed most of the shenanigans in the first period. By all accounts, it was just all out bad. But what I did see over the course of the remaining 40 plus minutes was certainly not much better. I need to try to recall this one. It just seems like the playing Vegas pisses you off for, for no good reason. Um, it, it was a, it was a lot different feeling than in the playoffs. Um, just because you know you, you did have sort of the hype of of playing yes your your former playoff foe and you know sort of last season's direct enemy. Um, but it's like they're not in the same division this year. You know Vegas is a little bit depleted by injuries, and then they've had some personnel changes even before the the trade today. Um, you know, and they're, they're just, they're, they're not quite where they were, but they still have that same sort of, you know, grind it in your face attitude, just that they, you know, for no good reason at all. Okay. This was the game where they gave up the first goal two minutes in. So, and then, um, and then they gave up a shorthanded goal. So this was just. You know, them trying to build off the Tampa win and everything, trying to get some momentum. It was just exactly what you didn't want to happen. I think I remember the shorthanded goal was, um, was it Comfort gave McCarr, like, not a great pass. Like, Carr kind of turned. Yeah. They were- McCarr turned it over, but he really did, wasn't in a great It was spot. a buddy pass. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then Comfort sort of got back and... Didn't do much oh, to back check. Yeah, I remember that too. How Comfer, um, like he he did a good job, like booking it and staying with his man. But it was like once they got to the net, he just thought his job was over. Right, and it, it wasn't. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then Makar stops like right in front of Kemper, and it was like that didn't help either because, like, it almost kind of like impeded him. And yeah, that was, it was, the game was kind of like over at that point, which is sad because it was just 10 minutes into the game, but yeah, the way that they weren't scoring, just, you knew that they couldn't dig out of that hole. Plus Vegas is good with the lead, right? Like they play that heavy defensive style well, and they're not going to give you much. So when you spot them two goals early, it's just, it's game over. And McCarr did then score his his real goal in that game so after the shootout 
was of course not like a real goal. So um, he did score. I don't can't, can't remember the play though right now. It was from McKinnon and Byron, which of course I should remember that, but um, you know, I, it was a tough start for him, but I think continuing on the theme of McCarr digging himself out of the hole, the goal helped him because as we'll get on later in the week, McCarr definitely started getting better. Right. Again, it's like you compare sort of the Tampa and Vegas games to what we had seen with him in, in the Florida and Washington games. And, and it was, you know, that you were like, okay, you know, this is actually Kale McCarr now. Do we think that he, cause he started playing with Byram. Do you think that helped McCarr out specifically? Like they've been a, a good pair together, but do you think that, helped McCarr any or it was just more coincidental I mean I definitely think it's whatever was wrong with him preseason was definitely getting better as time went on he was gaining a little bit of confidence but um you know I I just think that Byram was the kind of partner he needed um he needed someone that was going to be you know playing well through all three zones and it you know it, it i mean this sort of goes off on a tangent but you know it's like sam has not looked good this year and you know, obviously you know he he didn't play in that game because of the the hit from Stamkos at the end of the the tampa bay game oh yeah we didn't even talk about that <laughs> <laughs> which was horrifying which, yeah to get hit like that especially in three on three which like never happened and then like it was a dangerous right. hit, especially after Landy's suspension, and then nothing happened. Right, and it's a cowardly hit because you know you're not going to get penalized for it. Um, but that being said, it just that for whatever reason, like Sam and and McCarr together, it just it 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 hasn't worked that well historically. It's nice um, as a change. Yeah. You have an offense. Yeah, like I like it off. when they do that after a penalty kill and you, you go out with a, an all-out offensive shift. But um, I'm trying to remember exactly you know, I, when Byron McCarr was put together, or was it at the end of the Florida game, and then they started that way in the Tampa game? Because I know the Washington game was like the enormous disaster. But I don't remember. Yeah. I don't think they were broken up after that game specifically. I think they made the change in the Florida game. So I think you're right. So. Um, but I mean, they they had to do it, you know, starting in the Vegas game. Yeah, well, yeah, they had to because Sam wasn't playing. So that that's when those two definitely right. played a ton together. And um, yeah, and I do remember I, that. I, I, even though it was largely a garbage time game, they played well together. They created a lot of chances. Analytically, they've been amazing together. So, um, you know, I do remember that they were good in that game, even though they, there wasn't a lot on the scoreboard. And I mean, I think we've always said that sort of when you, when you look at the, the talent pool of the Avs defense, you know, you, you, you look at McCarr, and Byram together is sort of your, you know, that's what you would want as your top pair, you know, going forward long term. Um, and it's just, you know, it's basically waiting for for Bo to get the experience and and the the confidence at the NHL level to 
you know, be able to handle um, playing that role night in, night out. And which is good that it works now. We'll see when they add Hayes back in the mix. I'm sure he's gonna get a lot of minutes, but um, it's good that they have confidence that it could work. Like Bednar's mentioned several times that he likes the Byram and and McCarr pair, so knowing that he likes it is also, you know, like a good (laughs) comfort moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's always nice having two lottery picks on your blue line (laughs) to playing together. I mean, (laughs) who wouldn't want that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just that, you know, that, that is your most talented pair on paper. Um, and again, you know, it's like, it, it's one of those things when you say like three years from now, it's like, yes, that's exactly what you'd want to see is like, you know, that would be a dominant defensive pairing. But it's like, it doesn't even have to wait three years. Like they could. No, but I mean, just imagine when, when both those guys are experienced NHL players playing together. I mean, that's, you know. That's like two Norris candidates playing with each other. And sure, of course it'll get better and, and Byron will get even better, but it is crazy that they can play like 20 plus minutes together already and win. Yeah. I wish I could remember that goal. It's sad that I can't think of right now that McCarr goal, but whatever it was, I'm sure it was nice. <laughs> it's a little... It, it, I just went back to look at the timestamp and that one came just seconds before the end of the second period. So that, I don't know if that would have short circuited any momentum going forward. Had it, uh, you know, based on when it was scored because you're heading straight into an intermission and you can't really build necessarily on that at that point, but maybe if it had, it does seem to always be a momentum changer though. Like if you score, you give up a goal at the end of the period. It just, it does feel yeah. like, you know, like like the other, whoever gave up the goal, they were so close to just getting out of the period at whatever the score was. And then it's just like, oh, you, you just couldn't do it for however many seconds. We'll just pick an arbitrator. I'll say three minutes earlier. That could have probably given the abs a little bit more life on offense and then given them something more that they could have chewed on in the intermission before coming into the third. Well, I just it's don't good think they had it that night. I, I, I think, think that was one of the nights either. when Bednar was questioning their competitiveness and everything <laughs> like that. Didn't he pull so. out a sacoism that night about not starting the game one time? Yeah, that was... Well, they, yeah, didn't. they didn't. I mean, they... I basically just said that. It is true. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a theme that Bednar's been talking about, and I guess, you know, maybe we'll save that discussion for the Columbus game, but... um. Like the injuries and stuff is something they can't control, but they can control how hard they work and how competitive they are. And we know Benner loves the battle and the try hard and everything. And, and they even have try hard analytics too, by the way, apparently that he explained sure one do. day. So, so he, yeah, that was fun. He can even point and say, you know, like the, uh, the try hard isn't there. So, but yeah, I mean, one of the things, not just starting on time, but putting together a full 60-minute effort is something, and, and like, no team, you know, honestly puts together a full 60-minute effort um, consistently. I mean, it's just, you know, that that's why the game ebbs and flows. It's just like, you're never going to dominate from green to checker. 
Um, but it's just you, they need more. You know, they they need that competitiveness at a minimum level that they haven't been attaining at, at many points during these games. But it should have been in game at two to one, and it just wasn't. It was it was a lot a lot of garbage time. Yeah. And then speaking of garbage, they played St. Louis next. (laughs) (laughs) Avs hit the road for that game in St. Louis, and they would defeat the Blues by a score of 4-3, getting a small measure of revenge for what happened on Pierre Lacroix night a couple of nights back, or a couple of weeks back, rather. Uh, GT Comfer would score twice in that game, and Marker is also coming from Nazem Kadri and again Kale McCarr with uh, the game winner. This was yeah, the this, one where Miko was like suddenly not in the lineup. So, <laughs> well, it's, it, and we saw, and you know, obviously the the Sam hit was obvious, and in the Vegas game, like Miko got slammed into the boards, and I thought it was you know, the it, Tampa it, it, game that he got more beat up, like when he hit his face, like he kind of got hit in the corner, and then he just basically hit his face and. Fell down. Right, I was, was really and weird. I was thinking about that. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> claiming it's lower body. That's that's why I didn't think that was it. But um, I remembered like a couple, and, and then it was another one too. There was where he accidentally somebody, and then I don't know, was it some Tampa people were saying, "Oh, he's trying to do that." I was like, "Come on, Miko <laughs> Rantz is trying to knee somebody. Give me a break! Like he'll break himself doing that." Right, um, and I think there was one other time too where you were just like, "Geez, at the end of the game, if Miko's not dead from this, we're lucky." And then he wasn't, but then he was. Something happened in the <laughs> Vegas game, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember anything in in particular, but so yeah, and it was weird happened. too because it it was one of those things where he came out for morning skate and he's like, "Well, I don't think so," and then. <laughs> Which that doesn't happen all that often, you know. Usually, that's like right. old people or something that can't make it through a practice or a morning skate. But it's just like Miko didn't make it through the skate, and then Bednar did say immediately, like, "Yeah, I don't know." He's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's not good." Um, you'd think he usually yeah, would pull the whole. You... Oh, I I don't know anything. I I didn't know what happened at morning skate. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, is like you're. You, Obviously, they're not going to shed light on this for us, but was this something where they were wondering whether he was ready and he went out there? Because down the road, that's what it sounded like more, that it wasn't something where he just went out and it was like, oh, golly, I I, I feel kind of weird. Um, it was but that it, they, it sounded as... Yeah, they knew it after the yeah, Vegas game. Right, and he was going out there that you know, and trying it out and was like, nah, this isn't going to work. Well, he practiced okay in the day between. So you, you usually think that, all right, he made it through the practice. It was okay. He obviously woke up that morning. It was okay. But, you know, just um, got on the ice and it wasn't. So that was cool. But they won anyway because St. Louis <laughs> I still trying. think this is a road building the Avs have had trouble in. I feel like it is a decent sized win whenever they can go into St. Louis and, and win that game. Yeah. It should be noted that the last time that both of these teams met, there was a COVID absence, I believe. But McKinnon. was it McKinnon? 
Yeah, yeah. McKinnon was out that, that game. And then in this game, it would be Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad that didn't play for St. Louis because of COVID. Correct. Yeah. But then we didn't have um, Sam and Miko. Like, I'm trying. It's so hard to even remember game by game who was actually in the lineup. But <laughs> the Vegas game was probably close. Like, Vegas and Tampa were probably the two that were the best lineups so far. And then we just started declining from there <laughs> into the the depths that we are at right now could be getting better, but we'll see. Yeah. I think it, it, at least we haven't had Sam and Makar out for the same game yet. True. But knock on some wood when you say that. <laughs> right. And like, and Bo has been able to take up a, a whole heap of slack, but it's just, that's, that's more than you can ask of anyone. I know, like, thank God they have him. Can you imagine if they hadn't... Well, it's like, if you're looking at a Byram-EJ first pair, you're just like, oh, that's tough. Because, <laughs> you know, because then you're thinking of what the second and third pairs look like. And <clears throat> Well, yeah, it definitely gets uglier, but... Yeah. It gets bad when you take anybody out, really. Like, the forward lines have just looked just hilarious, pretty much. Yeah. But, I mean, Vlad's right. It's a, you know, these are division opponents. Um, you know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a place where they like to play. Um, but they, they have had success off and on there. So... You know that that started a little bit of a a short, we'll call it a point streak. How about a point streak? Yeah, it's a point streak. It can last at least two games. From what I remember, <laughs> they played pretty well in this game. Like looking at it, yeah, they outshot them forty-two to eighteen. Especially after the the previous games where they were having difficulty generating. Now, of course, they had five power plays, which helps that a little bit, but. Um, they gave up the first goal of the game again, but it was good to see this one where they didn't let let it get them down. They were able to put some scores together. And this was another one where they gave up another goal late in the game, but it wasn't like the Tampa game where they, had, they lost it and had to go to overtime. So at least they closed it out. Um Trying to think if this one this win was better or the Minnesota win. I guess that's kind of when they peaked, but it's sort of when Bednar started getting into like they were playing a lot of auxiliary forwards, but he was getting that hard work that he he wants to see, like the battle winning races to pucks. And I remember thinking that like the breakout finally look, every time there was a loose puck, more times than not, it was an ab that would get to it. So, like, they weren't getting stuck in their zone and things like that. So, I don't know for whatever reason why it finally clicked in this game. I guess Earl's theory that just St. Louis sucks is why. Yeah. And, I mean, they suck. And, and you know, not having radar and saw it, I mean, that definitely hurts. But it was, like, a cohesive like... effort. Like, I think I, I think this was the game where you felt like everybody basically played pretty good the thing that really stood out to me the most would be when right after Braden Shen 
cut the Avs lead to you know three two, and then forty seconds later, uh, Kale just ripped a bullet past Jordan Bennington to reestablish the two goal cushion. And I thought, there's no way the Avs are going to blow this after that play. I thought that was the exclamation point on that game. Oh yeah, it's just such a momentum changer when when one team scores and the other one just does it right back. And, and then continuing also the theme of Makar getting a little bit more comfortable, he's scoring, he's contributing more, things like that. We dialed outside to 8-7-7 goal now twice in that game, once on the power play. And it's true, comfort scoring goals. I still don't love the way that he's playing. He's not very good at 5-on-5. Five five. He's not very good defensively, but... Sure, I'm not going to deny the guy put the puck in the net and it, it's helped them. Like if he can keep it going, if he can get 40 goals out of the sky, I mean that's awesome. But I think at some point, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> um, you know, at some point, his five on five truth is going to come out. You just hope they can wring a few more goals out of him. But I think he is trying harder, in the, especially in the offensive zone. He's getting in good positions. He's getting good tips, uh, like the one it, we'll talk about in the Columbus game. I mean, that was a really nice play by him. So I'm not going to say all that stuff doesn't matter. It's just it's not going to really continue. But maybe if he gets all those power play one minutes, I mean, he'll get something. To wrap up the... Uh... Divisional portion of October, the Avs would defeat the Minnesota Wild on home ice at Ball Arena by a score of 4-1. to Gabe Landeskog would score twice, including an empty netter during some Kevin Fiala-induced shenanigans on Nathan McKinnon. And Eric Johnson and Nazem Kadri would also pot a goal each in that game. This one, I think we really got to see the Avs play a game where, again, they went up against a top team positionally in the the central, but they didn't seem to be lacking in any sort of area of the game. It looked like they played a really solid game. Maybe for the first few minutes, it was kind of tepid, but once they got that first goal by Landis Gog, they pretty much just had this game in their hands for the rest of the way out. Yeah, I think Minnesota was a good test because they're, I think they play a good team, a good defensive game. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if they're fraudulent as well. Um, but I, I mean, I do think this is a really good win because I mean, obviously they're, you know, I, I think they're more talented or have more potential than St. Louis. They're, they're probably more of a threat for the top of the division. <clears throat> Not that we're any, anywhere close to that right now, but, um, you know, you just wonder like with, with Kaprizov and Fiala, you know, supposedly their major scorers struggling so bad and, and, um, you know, you, you, I think we kind of witnessed what they look like when the coach is tearing his hair out. Um, you know, they, they've, they've got some flaws and, and it, you know, it's, it's more of the team building variety. You just wonder like how that's going to play out over the whole season. Kind of looking at some of the wild media is they want their stars to show up. Like for them, that's the next big step. Is they've paid Caprice of all this money. They want Fiala to be more of a star. And when they play a team like the Avs and it's like the stars take over, you know, this was like Landy's game where he played really well. 
So it's just, it shows them what level they have to get to. And it's nice yeah. when the abs can stop that. <laughs> but, um, you know, this was also another good team win. It was, we're still, at this point, we're playing forwards like Magna. We have McDonald as a forward. <laughs> things like that. It, it's still not pretty in the bottom six. At least they got Sam back in this game. But then they lose Burkowski. I think it was the second period. So that started definitely shortening the bench and who they could roll out. But I think especially after the St. Louis win and then you had another what you could call a hardworking team performance to put him back to back, you could definitely see the like why Bednar was happy about this. It was goes back to the whole thing like you can contr- you can't control the injuries or the situations but you can control how hard you work blah 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 and then when you see it you're like okay we can do this and we can be successful but why they can't consistently do that is a little strange so this is when you say like the lineup has been insane the injuries have been insane and everything but why can't they just if they work hard and there's just not enough skill talent on the ice, I think Benar would take it and just say, we gave it our best. We're missing way too much firepower. You know, it is what it is. But when they go out and they just don't do that, like they did it against St. Louis and Minnesota, why couldn't they continue doing that? What, what is so weird or strange, I guess, about their effort level this year? I did. I I think part of it is they never really turtled like in the classic turtle sense of like giving up twenty shots in the third period to to one. Um, you know they were (laughs) right, and they they were able to you know basically sit on leads last year, uh, but still be productive while doing it. You know, still keep up a decent shot differential and, and and. you know, extend leads and, and things like that. And yeah, they're playing terrible teams every night, and that's gonna, you know, that that's that's sort of the mystery effect that w- that we're gonna keep seeing this season is the differences between playing the terrible teams in the the Western Division last year versus playing the whole league. Was it? Um, not but, but I, I just think better teams, just I, I, different teams. No, I think they're better. But no, I mean, <laughs> is it a coincidence that they played better against St. Louis and Minnesota? Like the familiarity aspect, and they're getting a little bit caught because now they're finally seeing all these different teams. Well, I mean, they played Vegas a lot last year. And that didn't <laughs> okay, go so that's well. the exception, of course. But <laughs> I'm just saying. Look out, Anaheim. Here we come. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's saying, like... are they getting a little bit. Maybe they got too complacent in a way and complacent by playing bad teams, but also complacent by playing the same teams. And then I also think that they just had nothing to fight for. It's kind of like when Tampa won the President's Cup and they were, was that the year that St. Louis bound, or not St. Louis, Columbus bounced them in the first round? It's just, you have nothing yeah, to I mean- fight for. Like, you don't even know what to do when you're. It in a two goal hole in the first period. Like, how many times that even happened to them, or when they couldn't just easily close out a game or things like that? 
And does that get back to mental toughness? Does that just get back to you just have to learn how to maybe not be the most dominant team ever? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's something that we've seen them struggle with with so far this season is just it was so easy last year and it's not now. And you basically had a a year off from, you know, a competitive regular season, you know, outside of a, a handful of the Vegas and, and Minnesota games. And I think that should be a concern. Like we know they're going to get guys back and hopefully knock on wood. It's just not a revolving door that they can play a decent stretch of games with most of their lineup and, and it should look better. But I've been yeah, saying I mean, this for a few Bednar keeps talking about that. Yeah. And I mean, of course, like the next game we should see Taze and Burakovsky back in lineup. Like that is a huge amount of talent to just drop into one game. But that also doesn't guarantee that it's all going to work and be cohesive and, and get them a win. But you know, those guys will, will eventually isn't it will work, but do we just have to accept it? Okay, here's my question. At some point, do we have to accept that this team, this season is different? Like, everyone still just assumes they're going to be at the top of the division. You know, once they get out of this rut and they start dominating, what if they're not? What if they're fighting for a playoff spot the whole season? I mean, is that just inconceivable? Like, I don't think they're going to suck. I, they've shown that they could play Avs hockey, and and once they get guys back, it will get better. But it's a whole new year. It's a different division. Teams get better. It's a lot more competitive, and it's not going to be handed to them. And they're already in a hole. If the reason they were losing or, you know, not being competitive on a night-to-night basis was, you know, sort of the lack of talent we get from having, you know, call-ups and, and maybe not our favorite players in the lineup. Um, you know, then I could I, I could buy into that at this point. But, but I do think Bednar's right. It's just, like, they're not playing consistently. They're not they're not able to put the, the effort in you know, for, for enough of a game, you know, maybe not the full 60, but, but enough to get that win yet. Um, but isn't it the opposite? Like if it's all the bums that are losing you the game, then, then you say it, it's a talent problem. It's a roster problem or whatever. But when your top yeah. players aren't playing well consistently, why can't they do that? Like, aren't they supposed to be better nine times out of 10? Cause it's easier to blame the coach. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, are, is what you're saying like? Do you think there's something different with Miko, Mac, and and Landy and and Makar and and all their top players that that makes the team different, or you know, is it sort of the fact that they're in a more of a one line team again? I don't know because it is fair to say they all haven't played together basically, but individually. <laughs> you can say all those guys pretty much haven't been good enough. I guess at, at what point do you judge somebody individually regardless what's going on around them? Like I get they're going to get leaned on more. They're going to have to carry things more. But I feel like it's not just they're giving their best effort and they just can't make miracles. It's that they have been bad themselves. Like they're getting better 
efforts and performances from the depth guys to the best of their abilities. And it's just the top guys have all had pretty sad performances, I think. Like, they've all had good moments. But if you look at, say, who's supposed to be the top five, six players on this team, they all haven't been good enough this season. I mean, what are you judging this on? Just, like, you know, full performances throughout games or, you know, certain situations or, I mean, you know, like what specifically do you do you think that that line or you know those guys you know when they're matched up with with you know whoever might be the the wing de jour well it gets back to like um, the effort level like i just think mckinnon just doesn't care half the time like if it's not a good game for him he just gives up i think landy for the most part <laughs> no it's true i i think landy for the most part but there's just some games where his brain's off. Um, I think Miko's probably the more consistent in a way, but then he gets into just weird things where he just has he can't stay on the puck, or I don't know. He he gets through these like weird physical ruts. But I think mentally and more what he's trying to do is more consistent. Then you have Makar where. Was it just this injury? Was it confidence? Does he just need to get going? But he was like actively bad for what four games and then started getting better. And then Sam, like, I don't think he's been the catalyst of bad, but the bad around him isn't like helping him get into a groove either. So, you know, it's it's fair to say he hasn't been that good either. So why are all these players individually bad? And I don't think you can just say, well, there's, there's been somebody missing all the time, so that's why McKinnon gets to suck at least 50% of the time now. Like, that's not an excuse. I, I mean, I, I think part of it is that the teams have a strategy for playing the Avs, and it's to, it's to basically isolate um, it. it whoever is easiest for them to neutralize. And it's like, if you can neutralize McKinnon to a point, you know, and it just say, let, let the rest of the team beat us. That's not a terrible strategy. You know, it's like, if you can take McKinnon and McCarr and get them off their game, um, you're, you'll take that. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I just, I, I do think there's things that teams have been doing, um, tactically, that you know, maybe the Avs coaching staff just isn't ready to counter yet. It just seems like once you get McKinnon frustrated, the other teams won. And maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that's something that that you know the coaching staff is trying to work through with him because it's it's something I know that that frustrates the hell out of him at times. Um. You know, like he's, I mean, he definitely gets picked on. He definitely has a guy that tries to shadow him on the power play all the time. Um, you know, he gets double teamed a lot in the offensive zone. And it's just, you know, ha- if you're a player of his caliber and you're, you're going through that, you have to figure out a way that, that you could still be effective when the other team is just focusing on you relentlessly. And it's it's definitely frustrating. 
Um, you know, and I, I don't know if there's a great answer for it. I, I guess the best answer is, you know, make guys like Miko and Landy and, and Makar beat you if you're going to focus on Mac or whenever a team focuses on one or two guys, you know, that, that does lead to opportunities for the others. And if, but if the others aren't able to make you pay for that, you know, that, that it's going to work for them. And I know this is where having a second and a third line would help because if the team sells out to stop this (laughs) top line, then fine. Then we'll beat you with the other lines, but they have, gotten goals here and there from some of those guys so it's not like it's not like it's just saying the top line like you have to score three goals this game or else we're not going to win but I guess that's what I'm saying like I can understand it's more difficult but they can control their attitude and the way that they play and I do think that Ben is getting at something where those top guys are just giving up too easily and that's something that the player themselves controls. So I don't really understand it either. That's just my observation. Yeah, I'm just I'm not sure how you counter it. I mean, I mean, I think we've all watched the games and, and looked for answers to that. <clears throat> I mean, you look at I mean, Landy's had you know six points in the last two games, but it's like in the defensive zone they've struggled. You get the puck out, and you look at the game against Columbus, and you know it, it, their ineffectiveness in the defensive zone definitely made it easier for Columbus to win it. So, well, before we get into you know, that, they, into that Columbus game, there's a couple of things on the Wild that I really think we probably should uh, dissect just a bit. Uh, there was an, a moment in that game, which was similar to what I mentioned earlier in the game against St. Louis, where the Wild tried to build a little little bit of momentum. Uh, Ryan Hartman would score on the power play for the Wild to tie it at one, and then just 30-some-odd seconds later, Eric Johnson would counterpunch. And, from, and that was awesome. What, and that was pretty awesome to, to, to see, because after 14 months off, it, you know, it's, it's a nice feel-good story for EJ to contribute and I'll just use that as a blanket term. Well, having had that extra, that extra time to be ready for this season. So that was something that I think all of us uh, as fans were, were uh, pretty happy to see the other thing. And I'm about to make Jackie's heart, you know, go into overdrive here, (laughs) but for the second time in a week, we had a really gross, incident involving an avalanche defenseman when Brandon Duhame would uh, take a nasty cross check to Bo Byram early on in the third period. Nathan McKinnon would turn various sheets of purple and try to fight him. <laughs> he roughed it. Yeah, that's bizarre how that wasn't considered a fight, but okay. Um, well, yeah, it, it always makes me nervous when I see all of our defensemen go back in into that vulnerable kind of position and, and knowing Bo, he wants to make the play so bad. Like he even still made the play in that scenario. Like he was able to get the puck into the corner. And yeah, I just, it's horrifying seeing stuff like that. And I know it's not going to be the last time either, but um, 
you know, he, he played the rest of the game and seemed okay. But the way that these guys have been falling through the trap door, you just, you don't know. That doesn't mean anything anymore just because they finished the game. So, <laughs> um, like, I think the Sam probably worse. Like, am I going to think that's like the dirtiest hit ever? No, like there is going to be worse, but you just don't, it's, it's just something you hate to see. It's one of my least favorite parts of the game and, and good for McKinnon doing something right there in the moment. And, you know, I think that probably did mean a lot to Bo, especially since, um, from what I hear from people, McKinnon tends to yell at him a lot that they see on other broadcasts that altitude doesn't show, but you know, I guess, (laughs) guess McKinnon's happy with his own game that he can yell at teammates. So good for him. But, Honestly, good for him stepping in, and 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 then it was cool that Nas scored right away, and then Bo was back out on the power plays, and everything was fine. Well, <laughs> obviously Bo was okay, and so no harm, no foul. And it was great seeing EJ score like that. I think they said it it had been six hundred and nine days or something since he had scored a goal, and um, in in a real NHL game because we obviously saw him score in the preseason, which was fun. Um. You know, and that ended up being the the game winning goal. So <clears throat> it's it's nice to see that I, I I think EJ's been a little up and down. Like I've I'm definitely happy with what I've seen from him um, so far this season. It, it's definitely more than I would have expected right off the bat for someone that's missed as much time as he has. Um, He's been solid. I'm glad that they're not using him. It seems like they kind of understand. What his role? Yeah, they've, they've definitely be. been giving him ginger use. He does at time get certain times gets gets rolled there a little bit more than others. But if they ever get everybody healthy, he should third pair guy, and he's been pretty good. It's it's nice to have him back, and of course, see a goal like that. Anybody that's missed time, it was. Just, I mean, it was crazy because right before that. It's like he had, it looked like he broke his friggin' ankle. <clears throat> um, and I forget if that was a PK or just a, a long shift in the oh, defensive yeah, he zone. Oh, yeah, that stung him. Right. And he's out there hobbling around for like a minute and a <laughs> half. And then we're like, oh, he's dead. And then <laughs> not two minutes later, he comes out and scores that goal. Um, so, you know, that's that's nice to see that he's resilient. And can take a little bit of abuse without shattering an ankle. So yeah, we're glad you're back, Condor. Keep it up. And those uh, 14 months were well spent putting a little bit of extra padding around the ankles. <laughs> I don't think they wear the shop blockers anymore on their on their skates, which I don't really understand. Like it seemed like a good idea. They just stopped doing it. I don't know. I think this. The, I think first of all, the skates are better, but I'm not sure they don't because someone there was a shot blocker on the ice the other day mm. during play. Yeah, <clears throat> but I don't know if it was ours or the other teams. <laughs> I don't think we've been wearing them, but you know who knows. Sometimes you can't tell the photos. I, I again, I think as a mandate, they build them into certain pairs of skates now. Because it's kind of stupid to have a, a prophylactic device like that. Also, maybe it was technically illegal because you can't force players to wear something. Maybe they got in force trouble. Force them to wear helmets. Well, <laughs> beyond the mandated equipment, obviously the mandated equipment. 
ever since Craig McTavish left, everyone's had to wear a helmet. <laughs> All right, let's flip this yeah, calendar yeah. to November. <laughs> and let's talk about what happened uh, against Columbus. The Avs would go up 2 to nothing in this game off the sticks of Logan O'Connor and Bo Byram. And then they proceed to turn the lights out. And within the span of eight minutes in the third period, surrendered three of four unanswered goals, only to see JT Comfort and Bo Byram with uh, Johannes Johansson on the bench, pull the game even at four before Jake Bean would end it on some bizarre goofballery on defense by the Avs in overtime to put this thing to bed. <laughs> this that, one... That's a very kind, kind way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it the reason why the other games are harder to remember and some was were like two weeks ago, but this game, I don't know, is gonna stick in my mind, I think. I guess we'll see when time passes. But I was there, so it there's definitely a colorful perspective, let's just put it that way, of seeing a game like that unfold in person. Does car crash come to mind? <laughs> It was more of like a roller coaster because the good moments were so good. Like, come on, seeing Byram score that, the first goal he scored, seeing that happen like 10 feet in front of me was just like, just crazy. And then just the moment of when, because you were there too, like everyone was standing up and they got the first six on five goal. And then when they got the second, it was just like, I hadn't felt a moment like that in a while, I think, especially live. Especially because the Avs didn't really have a lot of those big moments last year either, I don't think. And then uh, we didn't get to see much. I didn't get to see much live. Nobody did. But so it's it's obviously been a while since I felt that big game changing moment. So it was pretty cool. And then it was Byron. I mean, come on, of course, that was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so is it too yeah, early to say are- that Byron is now clutch? <laughs> I mean, both his goals were so cool. I mean, it's like you know the the two on one with with Kadri, you know that that does look like just an easy tap in, but that wasn't an easy shot because that puck was bouncing a little bit and he had to elevate it. Um, you know that was that was a good shot. That was a good play. Um, well, that was like the first time he jumped in the bush and somebody passed to him. Like, how many times has he been like down by the net and then just like nobody? looks over there so it was it was cool to see because he's tried that so many times and then it happened like that and then also he started the play with the shot block that he was the guy all the way back yeah. in the d zone hey and was able he gets like a, a third or a fourth assist on that as well <laughs> and then was able to be the guy on the two-on-one but it's also really cool for me just because i watch so much in like juniors at world juniors and everything like that just to and he did that kind of stuff there and to see that actually happening in the nhl is just like the coolest thing ever because it's like yeah i've seen that i know what that is and it it's like it's his game it's not even like he's on some weird hot streak like this is just his game yeah and i thought he was pretty good on the power play standing in for Macar too um you know, it, it's definitely a different dynamic with him being the left-hand shot 
you know, and, and his style is different and things like that. Like McCarr is very deliberate at the blue line. I, I'm not a huge fan of McCarr running the power play. I mean, it's not that I don't think he's incredibly talented or anything like that. It's just, I, I, I think the way that he's so deliberate at the blue line kind of slows things down. And I'm not sure that's a great thing for the power play in general. <clears throat> um, but you know what one thing that stood out to me was the power play that the, the second and final power play of the the game in the middle or it was with about eight minutes left in the second period and and it was a good power play like they had some good chances you know Lannis Gog had a really good chance from where Comfort has been playing at the bumper spot and you know it the the top unit stayed out the full two minutes. And what Bednar ended up doing is instead of what you generally do is you you put your shutdown line or fourth line, grinders, whatever, um, out on the ice after a power play. And usually the the guys that were on PK, they will put out their, their top line and try to score because it's, you know, it's generally a time to, to try to get the momentum. Um and what Bernard did is he basically put the the second power play unit out there with with Eric Johnson instead of uh, Kiefer Sherwood, so that they, they'd have two defensemen, and they just got trapped in their zone for you know quite a while, and ended up giving giving up a goal to make it two one, and that was a huge momentum shift in the game, and that carried over into the third period where you know Columbus came out and had all the energy. And I, I think that was a big tactical error by the staff. I, it just, it's one of those things that they probably didn't think that much about, but it just, that was, that was the wrong tactical move at the, at the point. And I, I think that started the momentum for Columbus. I feel like it changed there uh, too. Like a lot of people are pointing at when the third started. And yeah. I agree with you that it really was after that power play. But for me, it felt more like an emotional swing because the Avs thought they scored on that power play that yeah. Comfer had shoved the the puck in and, you know, being there at the game and seeing it live, it seemed like maybe they had an argument because they were showing the angle and the puck was, was maybe over the line and everything. And like Comfer's asking, he's like pointing up, like asking for them to look at the video. And it just seemed like they weren't prepared for that kind of swing. So I was a little bit confused, like, because it, it looked like on the angle it was okay. And then, so you just didn't quite understand why they weren't challenging it, because at that point they would have gone up three to nothing. They probably would have just won. Yeah. I think that upon watching that play, and even watching the replays that they did show, I felt that even if they did take a look at it, they would probably say that they didn't have a conclusive look. So to me, I felt if they did try to challenge it, they probably would have just wound up right where they were. And Right. Because one of the replays they showed on TV, it was pretty conclusively under Corpusalo's, you know, either skate or bottom of his bottom of his pillow there. You know, and it, it's tough because like, yes, like that's not, you know, complete and total control over it, but that's generally considered a freeze. Um, and you want that, you know, if that was Jojo, you would want that at the other end. So, you know, I, I totally get 
why that's not a goal and it's frustrating and it would have been nice but but yeah it's like they they came out of that and it's like they had the wrong unit out and Columbus just went for it and they scored you know pretty quickly um and dominated the rest of the second and then they came out of the third and scored right away kept on dominating and scored again and again you know and it's just like where are we we're two down two goals down and you know what the hell just happened and it, that's just that's really tough and i, I you could tell bednar was just pissed about that cuz it's like they obviously you know it's like yes that that bad shift right after the power play started at all but it's like they could have taken the momentum back at any time with a good shift and they couldn't the big thing what happened was that the abs almost scored on that power play that um Comfer like pushed the puck into the goalie and in the arena you couldn't really tell what the problem was because it looked like there was an angle that maybe showed the puck going in and Comfer was motioning towards the video to like review it and and they didn't and I guess the issue was that the the puck was pushed in and they wouldn't have won that and I agree with that but I think maybe that started an emotional letdown. Like Earl said, it wasn't the top line guys that gave up the next goal, but I think maybe the whole team was a little bit bummed out because if they had gone up three to nothing at that point, the game was probably over. So to go from that kind of swing where they thought they almost scored and then they give up another goal and it's two to one. And even though there was the intermission, Columbus had that momentum and then they were able to come out in the third period and, and they were ready to fight, and the abs weren't. And you can see the third period is just when the abs just cratered analytically, but they weren't good through the whole game. Like, even the first period, the top guys were all pretty bad. So you could also argue, did it finally just catch up to them, that they weren't possessing the puck, they weren't getting out of their zone. But I think it was the two things coupled together, just that they weren't playing well overall, but they they were up two to nothing, and then it just when that finally turned, it was like everything went terrible. Yeah, I mean it, the tough thing is they couldn't grab the momentum back, and it just it, it kept snowballing. I mean that you just look at the <clears throat> you look at the push pull chart on Natural Stat Check, and it's like from that power play to when the fourth Columbus goal was scored, it's just a complete ski slope down, down, down. I mean they just had no shots of their own. Um, they couldn't prevent shots. They couldn't get the puck out of the zone. I mean, it, it, you kept watching what they were doing in their own zone, and they weren't covering guys very well. They weren't maintaining any kind of gaps. They weren't winning any battles. And it, you know, I, I mean, some of that is just you know, Columbus was, you know, they had the momentum. They were playing their game and and succeeding at it. Um, but they were just very frustrating uh, because they they wouldn't let the Avs get the puck in the defensive zone at all. And I thought it was weird and... because they were down. I think it was 4-2 to two at that point, and they just didn't have push. Like You would think this is when the score effects and the garbage time starts, and it just wasn't like that. They really had nothing until... Until they pulled Kemper or not Kemper Jojo and um, and started the six on five, which is kind of strange that it seems to be working for them, but it's not really leading to wins either. So 
I guess getting a few garbage time goals is nice. I mean, I'm not going to complain. It was a huge moment for Byram, and that was awesome to see. And um, that was his I mean, it's, first. It's one thing to like score a couple goals when you're down four to nothing or five two or something like that. Um, but you know, it's like they came back and tied it and sent it to overtime. I mean, that's you know, that's significant. They earned a point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one points. Who knows? It it could be meaningful. Um, right. So yeah, it was great that they were at least able to do that because three minutes prior, it, it looked like they could have easily just given up an empty net goal at five to two and just call it a day, and they didn't. So. And then we didn't even mention that Makar wasn't in this game. We didn't even talk about the injuries yet. So that was Byram's first time running the first power play unit. Like, he hasn't even really been on the power play that much to begin with. So it was cool that they allowed him to be on the first unit. I thought they were just gone with Gerard because he's been on that first unit a lot. So I will give credit to Bednar for saying, like, Byram's played well and he should get a chance with these guys. And um, I thought he'd been deferring a little bit too much on the second unit. So I was like, please, you're on the first unit. You have to shoot the puck. What? So <laughs> thanks, Bo, for listening to me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, and then we had overtime. Yeah. And that was... <sighs> It's weird. You'd think after how they came back and tied that game, you know, they would they would come out with a, I don't know. I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised because they they generally aren't very good in overtime. I mean, it's just I, I don't know why. But you're right. But, it was such an emotional like moment to tie the game like that, get to overtime, and then it was just over pretty quick yeah and it, it it it's not just quick it's like they played really bad it's like <laughs> well i think it's like that, that that whole sequence started with like nas like taking a shot and was blocked and then columbus gets the the puck and and brings it back and they possess it for a while and then comfort just sort of forgets which guy he's covering and then nobody's covering bean and Oh, no, no, it was all, I mean, honestly, it was was all Kadri's fault. Like, and he did well offensively. I don't think anybody got the defensive gold star in that game. But sure, like, Kadri (laughs) had a good game offensively. But he took a really weak shot, first of all. Just just gave up possession that quick. Like, I think. Yeah, that was like a 0% chance. I mean, that was like a 0.0001 XG. Like, Byram had just gotten on the ice. Like, could could you at least have a full shift with him, like, in the zone where maybe something could happen? But no. So, yeah, he gives a terrible, takes a terrible shot. Then he doesn't win the puck battle. So, Columbus gets the puck back. And then he. Kadri was the one that vacated the puck carrier. Comfort was it's the sad thing is that Comfort was the closest one to covering the guy once they all realized how bad it had gone, which that's how far away Kadri was from his man that Comfort was closer to him. Yeah, he was Comfort was right between two guys. <laughs> 
And yeah, it's just sad they didn't even have a chance. Like they didn't even get a a scoring chance. They they just had nothing after yeah. after getting that kind of momentum. And it's just it's just dumb hockey play. Like this is where I say the forwards they're just not bulbs in the box. It that's what their problem is in overtime. There's always these questions. Why can't the Avs play good three on three? Why can't they play well in overtime? I really don't think it's Bednar. It's just that it's a bunch of dum-dums. And <laughs> <laughs> they skate towards the board. No, it, that, that's the worst thing to do in three-on-three. Three. Like, you're just asking yeah. to give up possession. The boards are basically another defender. <laughs> they are. Because it's like it, one guy plus the boards, it, you know, you, you, can, you can cut someone off and take the puck away. And that, like, like an open ice, that doesn't happen. And the analytics say, I think that the most scoring is is on those transitions. If any, if the other yeah. team can get the puck and they can get a scoring chance right away, like the the percentage chance that that's a goal is like astronomic. You just can't do that, and the ABS give that up constantly. Yeah. Uh, it's just. It- I mean, we've seen it so many times in overtime, and it the personnel change to a degree, but it's you know the outcomes are very similar. But you know, it's <clears throat> at least it's not a division opponent. <laughs> I mean, I, overall, I was still kind of happy with that game because I liked seeing something of a fight back even if it was pretty contrived in a six on five, but they had to get two goals. I mean, come on. That's... And you notice both of those, <laughs> both of those goals at the end were scored on face-off plays. They're, both those goals were scored within 10 seconds of a face-off. Which is good. It's, it's good. You can actually get set up and get it working. I don't know who won those face-offs. I mean, I know Comfort won the second one. Well, hey, kudos to him. <laughs> I mean, I like his it, yeah, tip. Yeah, he won the first one, too. I liked his tip on the goal number three. So whatever he's got working, he's got the six of five working. I'll give him that. So we've got that going, which is nice. <laughs> I mean, that's that, I mean, honestly, because that's something that that. Like honestly, you see like a four four two down with five minutes to go, and you're like, ah, they're never gonna win this. <clears throat> well, sure, um, it's one thing to get one six on five goal to get two of them is, yeah, that's a little unlikely. Yeah, I mean, there's def- <laughs> yeah, there's there's luck involved, but it, I mean, they've done it. You know, it's like they've scored a bunch of goals with the empty net now, um, and and that's just. You know their their power play may still be ineffective, but they can do this. So which hey, th- at least this time it led to a point. Maybe it is something that down the line we're going to say this was the year they figured out six on five. They got aggressive on it and they started getting points or turning into wins. Maybe this is going to be part of their identity of this season. We'll see. If it keeps them from yeah. going to overtime and losing that point, I am all for that. <laughs> or just losing outright and getting nothing. 
I went back and checked those uh, the face-off stats for those uh, last two goals that the Avs scored. It was Confer that did win that second-to-last face-off for his goal, and then it was Landis Gog winning that face-off for, to get it to Byron for his goal. That's for, yeah. There is Landy got tossed out of one face-off. I think it, I'm trying to remember because I just watched this, and like I, I remember he was really pissed at getting thrown out at one of those face-offs, and it might not even been on one of the goals. But yeah, I mean, it's it. I, I do think it's cool that they have some set plays off face-offs that work. You know, that that's something structured that they're executing well, and I, and I think when you go back to like why we don't like what they do in three on three. You know, it's like that. Obviously, whatever structure they're being taught, they're either not doing it or, the, or what they're being taught is is not that great. Um, Would you really call those like way to get it back to the point, though? I mean, that's pretty standard, isn't that? Like what every single, what every unit in that situation is basically trying to do. Maybe, uh, it, and it it depends on you know who they're featuring and and where. Like, I I would almost think like. Because I I saw like Max standing at the blue line on the other point on Byram's goal, then he basically stood there the whole time and just watched the play. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> you're you're wondering, it's like you know, was was Max supposed to be the featured shooter there, or um, you know, you you kind of wonder, you know, what options do they have, and and what reads do they need to make to to make that play happen. Or do you think Byram took it more upon himself to be more of like more of a prototypical point guy on a power play? I mean, I I would guess their coach to like as soon as you see the opening, take the shot because I mean the the sooner you do something after a face off, the more effective it's going to be. But like he hasn't even yeah. he's barely just like power play period, and then with the first unit was like this morning. Like, there's just no way he'd even practice with those guys six on five. Yeah, you kind of doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so no, maybe that mean, does make it a little bit more incredible that it just was like his instinct took over. Yeah. Well, it's the vision, too. I mean, it, it's important to have that opening. It's like if if he had just shot it and it bounced off, like, three Blue Jackets, I mean, that's, you know... Yeah, or bounced out of the zone. Right. You know, it's it's knowing when that shot is open and, and taken it that, you know, that that's pretty key. It's like anyone can be EJ and just smack it into somebody. And... <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty cool. So I don't know. Maybe I'm overall more positive <laughs> about it just because of how, how it ended up. But like I said, salvaging a point is something I think they can build on. It's just a matter of they've got to play better. No, I'm too. pretty positive on this game. I, I mean, honestly, other than about 15 minutes, they I, I think they played pretty well. Like, I think the first period actually went pretty well for them. And I think the second period was fine uh, up until that shift after the power play. You know, that's when it all went downhill. And you could call score effects after that. But, you know, I, I agree with what Bednar said in his presser. You know, it, it went well and then... They just seemed to, I don't know, just take a powder. They were gone. I kind of, I'm, I'm not sure how I should feel about this game, to be frank, because they had control of this with a 2 nothing lead. And towards the end of that second period, and I even mentioned this on our, on our Twitter, I thought, you know, 
Columbus is starting to build something here, so the Avs need to be mindful that something, you know, to not let this game slip away. So I don't know, maybe I put the jinx out there. So, and then after that, everything just went to, you know, collapse for those 10 minutes. So while it's admirable that they did put up that fight and they did get back one of those points, they did leave that extra point on the table that really was for the balance of 40 minutes in their hip pocket anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, you know, you look at the goals that the, the Columbus scored. I mean, one of them was McDermott making, you know, a, a, a pretty bad play. Or as and we call that the nightly, that's the, the, the <laughs> nightly penalty for playing McDermott goal. Yeah. The um, streak is alive. Every right. single game. And I would call like the the fourth Columbus goal that probably wasn't a great goal on JoJo, and it's like that's your third goalie. It's like you've got to be mindful. It's like you you can't be cavalier with how you play. Like I thought JoJo played really well for at least the first half of the game. Um, you know I don't think the first Columbus goal was on him at all, and I think the the second Columbus goal was was still another one of those plays that was a defensive breakdown. So I I mean I think. I think Jojo did basically all he could on those. And I don't know how I didn't, you know, I wasn't watching the game live, so I didn't see the chatter. I, I, I would guess a lot of people were, were kind of down on him after this game, but I, I just, I don't think a lot of that's on him. I, agree. I think, I think kind of half and half. I mean, after four goals and like you said, the fourth probably wasn't the greatest. So at that right. point you say a save would have been nice. Can we have at least, Kept it to three right. goals, but and if if that was Frank or Kemper, I'd be kind of pissed at that goal. But it's like it's JoJo. It's like you've got to play better in front of a guy like that because it's like you know you know he's your your number three and and maybe he's your backup now, but still it's like you've you know you've got to find that extra gear to get the game back under control so it doesn't come down to like whether your third goalie can make a save in that situation. But he did enough to get them a point. They could have got a win. Definitely, overtime goal is not his fault. No, not when you have a breakdown like that. No. So, so there's there was definitely some I would say blame on the defense or or just defensive play in general. There were a lot of breakdowns and yeah. So, like I said, it it was kind of in the a save would have been nice territory, but. It's not like he lost the, them the game, and, and that's what you can ask out of your third goalie. And I'm still right. pretty positive it, on JoJo. Like, I don't mind if they start him. I'm not like, oh, it's an auto loss or whatever. Like, right. And it's like he, you know, he he had a pretty amazing record last year when he played for the Avs. And it's like again, we go back to like you know they're playing the dregs of humanity. Um, you know, and he's zero and two this year. But it's like the the team let him down big time in his first start, and and in this start, you know, again, I just, <clears throat> I, I I don't see a ton to complain about. I think this is where maybe we what should what he did bring up why did he pull, and then maybe also talk about what happened to Makar. Like it's interesting that they play JoJo in this stretch where. It's a pretty light schedule. Like you don't need to work in 
your backup slash third goalie when you have two, three, even four days off between games. Right. Like they they didn't need to rest Kemper here or did they? Um, (laughs) Because now it would be a full week off. And usually you wouldn't want that with your goaltenders. You, what ideally they play two to three times a week, I'd say. So he did get a little banged up in that Minnesota game. I, I think he definitely did. Um, there was that one time, and I, I forget exactly when it was. I think it was towards the end of the second or maybe early in the third. And he was um, talking about Felino. Didn't he, like, fall into him or something? Right, yeah. Um, he fell on his leg, I think. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he got up. He was kind of shaken up. Um, but he continued playing and, you know, obviously, you know, continued on and, and won the game. And he's <clears> practicing. You know, he could, so it's not like... Yeah, I've wondered around, about that. But... But one thing I wondered, like, if you're going to give JoJo one of the starts in the Columbus back in, uh, you know, home and home, wouldn't you do it in the second game? You know, wouldn't you want to play Kemper at home and and hopefully grab the win there? And then if JoJo wins the road game. I guess usually because, yeah, if you have the win in your back pocket, then, then you already have that. You don't need. Right. You don't want to chase the win in the second game. So, yeah, I'm so, not sure I agree with that because if you're at home, it's easier to control in theory the matchups. So why not put your your third goalie in a position where he's best able to be in an environment where he could get that win? I guess you can look at it either way. It's kind of like yeah, would you rather go that's, first. That's in not the a bad shootout. way to look at it either. Yeah, but I think the way Bednar usually goes is just kind of like let's say. In a back-to-back, he usually will start the starter in the first game, even though he probably knows in the back of his mind he's just going to play him at both anyway. But it seems like he <laughs> does seem to follow the theory of like get the win first and then see what you want later. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that does bring up. You know, like was was Kemper like a little bit of sh- shaken up, <clears throat> and you know we also saw with the Eagles that uh, Trent Miner was called up from the ECHL and and, and actually started last night, um, and and Miska was not backing up, so you know M- Miska was a scratch, um, and you know I I, I kind of wondered like is that is that Miska being on standby for the Avs? Or, you know, Miska had had sort of a poor start before that, or, or are they just done with Miska? So, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough to read that. That's why I was it, hoping to get a little insight. Which is why, it, right, it, like everything's on the table. It's that Miska didn't play well, and Miska got hurt, that they're getting rid of Miska, or because, like you said, if if Kemper can't back up or whatever, somebody has to come up. So it's hilarious that... One guy is runs the gamut of the possibility from going to the NHL to being out of the organization, and nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> it's never at all moments between the pipes. Right. And yeah. since the Eagles now refuse to give injury updates, then that makes us have to read the tea leaves even more. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for that. But it... The Makar thing was bizarre, too, because 
like we talked about in the Minnesota game, it was Byram the one that had the hit, you know, he's the one that you really wanted to see at practice, and he was, so, okay, you know, maybe we escaped that crisis, and then, all of a sudden, oh, Makar's not at practice. Really? What what happened? Later that night. (laughs) (laughs) The veteran's like, oh, yeah, he got hurt in soda game a little bit day to day and just like okay well he's probably not playing tomorrow because usually if you don't practice you don't play under bednar and then he just shows up on ir that night and we know we've discussed on this podcast how the abs hate using ir making transactions and McCarr went from day to day to ir in like six hours yeah and that's, I mean, even for them, that's pretty bizarre. It is, especially since they didn't need the roster spot for the, because they were going to, call, they called up Sherwood to take Burakovsky's place. So they already had that roster spot. So they didn't need to put Makar on IR for roster spots. I've seen a lot of people speculate the cap. No, IR is not, has nothing to do with the cap. It's, if he goes on LTIR, it's about the cap, which they hate doing that even more. And they have 1.5 million in LTIR. They're not even using anyway. Right. So, so nothing that needed to be done immediately or for the next game, which usually is how they operate. Like, you know, why put somebody on IR when you don't have to? Like the Avs just don't do that. Maybe other teams out there just say, "Well, this guy's injured. We're putting him on IR." That's not what the Avs do. So, you know, is it about get, getting Taze activated now? Maybe, but it was like Bender made this comment about when somebody asked him if Nuke was on IR, and he said no, which he was wrong about because Nuke is. But he was like, <laughs> "Oh, I hope he's not because I hope he's going to be back in the next couple of weeks." So that just tells you right there what IR means to the organization. <laughs> but allegedly, he said today the best case scenario is that Makar plays after the Columbus game, which would be next Thursday, which basically would almost give him like two weeks off. So who knows? Maybe it's a, that's a possibility, or maybe that was just Bednar's wishful thinking. I don't know. Guess we'll find out. <laughs> next Thursday is uh, home in Van- against Vancouver. <clears throat> it's just bizarre. Like it, It's even bizarre for them. Like, the abs are very cagey, but they tend to follow a lot of the same patterns. So you can kind of figure out, like, what they're doing. But when they go outside of their norm, you're really like, hmm, what are they doing here? So. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and, if they really do know. get Taze and Miko and Burkowski back in one day, that is a lot of transactions. But Miko and Berkey weren't on IR either. So. Just a little and weird. Now Couts week to week, so he's going to go on IR. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that that what I said before when Mateau got hurt is call ups going down is like the worst case scenario for your cap because you can't get rid of those guys. Like you weren't counting on paying them, and then you can't get rid of them. <laughs> it's true. It, it's it's like yeah. the worst nightmare to anybody trying to control no, the cap. Is, we had that for years with Brian Lurg <laughs> and Ben Street. 
<laughs> they just come up and get hurt in the first week of the season and be, you know, it was a Lurg blew his knee out one season and then the next season blew the other one out, both on the NHL right. roster. Yeah. Getting hurt early is... didn't matter back then. Well, right, because they have so now. much cap room, but like you can see that they're going to want to get off of LTIR when Francois is available, which. I know there's a lot of people that believe that it's just going to be like last year, but he has been seen on the ice. So I think he not with other back. skaters, though. <laughs> he did have skates on his feet, though. So yeah, so it's he with other, playing with the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you have too many guys, they're going to want to get out of LTIR at some point, especially when Frank gets back. But you can't if you don't even have enough cap room to cover all your injured guys at the same time. Then you just can't even get out of LTIR. So we'll see. The cap probably isn't very interesting to a lot of people, and it is very convoluted. But it does. it's another way to track what they're doing or what they're trying to do. So it's just something I mean, to keep in mind. It definitely affects who they call up. That too, like um, it. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like when they didn't call Maltsev up, that just wasn't true. But but yeah, it, at some point, especially when you you have a number of injuries, it's it's something that comes up. But while they're in LTIR, they're not trying to min max day to day because they can't accrue anyway, and then they have enough space for guys. But only so many. Then you have to put someone else on LTIR. Let's hope it's not Makar. <laughs> This would be right around the time of night they might do such a thing. Oh, uh, I think they're okay with getting everybody back because I think they will jettison somebody before they go to Columbus. But the truth will come out next week. <laughs> and not that you want anybody to get hurt at any given time, but with this relatively light portion of the schedule, this is the Avs' really best chance to really heal up and get ready for what's going to set up to be a very busy second half of November. Yeah, it's certainly a, a blessing in disguise that somebody can go down and then you have three, four days before the next game. That Makar, I mean, he can miss two weeks and he can miss two games, but... And it's a pretty cream puff schedule for the rest of the month, too. We say that, but then they don't beat the cream puffs. Well, we played in the cream puff division last year and did okay. So, <laughs> Not early on, but yeah, eventually. <laughs> so do we want to dissect more about the call-ups? Because I think we've beaten the injuries, part of the expression, into the ground. Definitely. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, they, the last call-up was Sherwood. He was called up for uh, Burakovsky. And I'm not the greatest fan of his. You know, he does the things that the Bender likes, skates fast, hard, he can throw a hit. He does have a really heavy shot, and, and he's he has been amazing for the Eagles. Like, I don't know, it, it's a lot of selfish shooting. Like, they just feed him the puck, and I don't know. He thinks he, they call him Ovet, the Ovechkin of the AHL, and it's a little ridiculous. But I, I can say he earned it, right? The guy's, like, leading the league in goals, so how do you not call that guy up? But... I mean, the crazy thing is, is like he's number one in the AHL with 53 shots. On I goal. think that's ridiculous. Honestly, I, I, can't, I can't even believe that's true because 
I can believe and, he's and taken that many And number two is Sakura with 30. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that many attempts were made. I can't believe that many hit the net. And I know in the AHL, yeah. time, space, everything is a way different. But, you know, in the NHL, I've seen it several times live. When he comes down the ice on a rush, he's not even close. Like, he's usually shooting it whip on the glass. So... I don't know. I, he tried this way dangly backhand shot yesterday, <laughs> and like the defenseman was standing right there, like, ha um, But he did have one really, <clears throat> you know, decent chance, and and you know he put a nice hard shot on that. So I mean, you know, there's that. He's just one of those guys where you can get max energy out of a, a couple times a year. You call him up. I mean, it's fine. There's definitely been worse, but it's just I don't buy into the hero hockey stuff it's just a lot of trying and not much doing just doesn't really move the needle for me it's just it's not interesting like the Megna thing like he he throws one good hit probably like once a game and and like Bednar thinks he's like a fourth line center he just he's not accomplishing anything he's not close to providing offense it, None of those guys are good defensively. Like all the AHL guys, that that's the knock on like the young guys. Just their defense sucks. It's like no, all the AHL guys' defense sucks. And then McDonald has been a forward. He was really good in that first game, but he definitely faded after that. I know McDonald is a big favorite of a lot of people, but it's kind of the same thing. Like surprises the opponent. Like they just have no idea what this guy's gonna do, and it's cool. But then it stops working, and then. When it stops working, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, the, the trick's been used. It was funny listening to Cronin pregame from the game last night. Like, Sherwood was bummed he didn't make the abs. It was like, dude, <laughs> you thought you were going to make the abs out of camp. And, and then he was talking about McDonald. Like, McDonald really isn't that keen on being a forward and he was basically just telling him like this way you get a lot of points and you're gonna get called up and whatever gets you called up is like what you need to be doing it's just yeah i mean funny listening to him run through it like that but i commend all the guys that were there for the wins and against st louis and minnesota because they did all collectively play play a decent team game and some of the lower level guys were part of that but you just see it. It just doesn't last. Like you can count on it for maybe like two games and then it just falls apart. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of the thinking why I, a lot of teams, you know, they tend to swap out those guys pretty quick, you know, cause you, they, they know you can get like two or three good games out of somebody like that. And then you, you know, you swap them around for someone else and the dude goes down to the HL and, you know, does his thing down there, gains his confidence back and, and you know, maybe you can do it again the next month or whatever. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's that's what the abs are thinking this year. But <clears throat> um, well, the big elephant is in the room is New Hook, right? Like, yeah. You, when you is would, he ready? I think he's gotten better. I I understand why he's not like this fringe call up like Sherwood. I would think when they call him up, he's just gonna stay. Like, he's not a guy that needs to go back and forth. If he's gaining at anything out of being in the AHL now, good. But he's not a guy that's going to need like games down there. So I like when they start getting healthy, if Miko and Burakovsky can stay in the lineup, that'll really help the core. 
then they can make some decisions. If they could actually get rid like of Like get rid of Magna? Yeah, Magna. That, <laughs> that would be a huge opening for New Hook. Because I think they need him. I, I, I think that... I don't really buy into the notion that they were like penciling him in for the second line to start the season. I think he was always going to be sort of like a bottom six guy to start. But they even need him in that role. And they're obviously not getting it. He's not there. So... They need more talent in the lineup, is I guess what I'm trying to say. And, and we know yeah, definitely. New Hope things happen when he's on the ice. Like, they're going to need that. They need it now, and they're going to need it. So hopefully that happens sooner than later. I think it will. I don't think he's getting buried for the year or anything. They, they know they need him. It's just, it's got to happen soon. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do think... Like playing on the PK like he has recently, and obviously he scored a really nice shorthanded goal last night. Um, like things like that will stick with the staff because it's like, you know, he's not going to be on power play one. Uh, he might not be getting the best chances at 5v5 if he's in the bottom six, but it's, you know, it's like if you can use him on PK and he, he creates a little bit of threat there, you know, that's another arrow in the quiver. I also so, think it's sort of worked to his benefit that all these guys are getting called up. Sherwood's gone, Magnus gone, because you know what? That's what gives him quote unquote big minutes in the AHL. He needed Sherwood to go so he could get on power play one. He needs some of these vets to be gone. So he's on the penalty kill, things like that. And then that he has a bigger role down there. He is shining. And yeah. that's one of the good byproducts of this. So vets come back, he needs to go. That's also a big part of it. Folks, we are 15 minutes away from hitting our two-hour mark of this podcast. Bingo, bango. Let's a short little show. Scratches, huh? <laughs> yeah, we had two weeks to get to, but yeah. Um, so my challenge to you on this is let's do this without going, tr- going to our go-tos. No Curtis McDermott, no Bowen Byron. Who do you got? <laughs> Um, Can we just say Bo's amazing with, with, one more time? <laughs> yeah. He, he I just want to throw default. out there that not only does he have the most even strength points on the abs, he has the most strength points of any defenseman in the league. But that's all I'll say. Um, go. <laughs> go with your star. I would, I, I'm going to go with Gabe Landeskog because I, I think that a lot of people are looking at him, and, and not to be critical, but you know, you're saying that you know, he's not shining or anything like that. I think he's you know, done he's more good than po- bad. And he's got six points in the last two games. And he, he's not doing the sort of stuff that was getting him in trouble earlier in the year. You know, he's he's actually being productive and, you know, he's honestly carrying Mac and whoever happens to be with him <laughs> that night. <clears throat> so. I'll say he leads the way most of the time. Yeah. I mean, he still falls down a lot. That's Gabe. That's what he does. Um, you know, he'll turn the puck over every once in a while. Again, that's, you know, that that's sort of, that's what you get with him. But, you know, it's where, where, where a lot of McKinnon's points feel kind of hollow. I, I do think, like, assisting, you know, on, on, on two goals last night in, in the Columbus game and then being a part of all four goals in the Minnesota game, I mean, that's showing good involvement. And he's kind of switching around with some different lines, and Mac is as well. 
<clears throat> you know, you're seeing a fairly good blender in both games, but it just seems like when when he's on the ice with with other guys, he's he's a little more effective, let's say, um, than than what McKinnon has been showing. So um, that that's kind of nice to see. And you know, I mean, you, you kind of expect nothing less from from the captain like that. All right, my star is gonna go to Logan O'Connor. Um, no, you hate him. I don't hate him. I he did. <laughs> like I said, I appreciate the tryhard, but I need to see more than that. And last night, he did it. Scored a goal on the second line. Took a great feed from Kadri. Put it in the net. Like I challenged him to do it, and he did it. So that to me is way more important than like ten consecutive end-to-end rushes you know so <laughs> oh not that it that doesn't help at all it's just you know i need more than hero hockey but he did it on the set him having to play on the second line is just ridiculous to begin with but he made a nice skilled play he definitely earned well, that i mean goal. a second line of sampo ranta <laughs> nazim kadri and logan o'connor is just that's just goofball shit you know and it's i I like Logan O'Connor, and, and I'm a big fan of Sampo Rantis, but it's just that shouldn't be. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but hey, the, got him on the board for goal of the game, and he got rewarded. He he is doing a lot of good things. If you're talking about somebody that's put in consistent effort, energy level, try hard battle, he's been doing it. I still want to see it in January, but but. The man scored a goal and he deserved it. So I he deserves my star. I agree. Who's your star, Vlad? This was really, really difficult because uh, without our, you know, our, our low-hanging fruit, this was uh, a little more <laughs> challenging than I expected. <laughs> you know, I will for, I'll forgive this because I'm gonna say I'm gonna put my star for, for Nazim Kadri. I will forgive him for that ghastly play in overtime last night. But with what it was left of the second line that he was a part of last year. And he needs this bounce back year in a bad way. I was happy to see him also start picking things up a little bit too with uh, his production. So I'll give that to him. I'm going to gleefully ignore uh, (laughs) the overtime and I'll give, I will give an honorable mention to, to JT Confer for his his production, but I also want to give a little bit a little bit of a shine to to Ryan Murray. I know yeah. it, it's been a little bit of a slow start for him, but we finally got some points on the board for him, which both in the same game. Up. Yeah, <clears throat> if he's one of those slow starters, and admittedly not watching him in New Jersey or Columbus, I can't really say for sure. But if that opens the door for him, much like with, with Confer now with what, five goals Confer has right now, any spark that he can get, I think, would be a welcome addition on that blue line. I'm not really yeah, sure I mean, how I... skilled he is. I, I, I just, I'm not sure the ceiling's very high. I guess I should say that. But it's been clear that comfort has, has been an issue with him, and Bednar even spoke to that. So some guys, it just takes more time, and it's understandable. So it is good to see him get into a groove. I really f- feel like they think of him as the seventh. If we ever get to that point, maybe we won't. 
So I'm not trying to get too attached to his performance because for whatever reason, they don't tend to play him a ton. But sure, it, it was good to see him get on the board and to, to make some plays, which should help, will always help the confidence. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you can see the confidence because he was very conservative for at least the, the first you know, four or five games. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen him jumping up into plays now. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to shoot much. Like, he, he's always had the rap. Like, if he has 20 points, he's gonna, 19 of them are going to be assists. So, you know, he, he's not going to have the goals. And that's fine. You know, it's like if he can be Ian Cole and, and have... <clears throat> A shitload of secondary assists as a, a a third line a third pair defenseman. That's fine. It's funny, like D's don't score that many goals to begin with. Like even to get ten from somebody that's considered a highly offensive player is a lot. It's just funny to think about how we see goals from defensemen as something that's expected. Yeah, I mean, when like when you have, <laughs> you know, it's like Taves is a good goal scorer. McCarr obviously is. Um, like Sam has turned into one and, and Bo obviously can. And like EJ, I mean, I, I, I love EJ, but his goals are all magic bullshit because it, <laughs> that's just the way he is, but they're fun. That's true. Every EJ but goal yeah, is I mean, a fun goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like he never, I mean, he never scores boring goals. So that's, <laughs> you know, it's cool. <clears throat> But yeah, you, you do expect that. And it's it it's weird. Like if 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 Murray does end up having like an Ian Cole kind of season where he has you know, like two or three goals and thirty assists or something like that, you know, it's like that would be you know, that'd be May really they cool. all be fun. Yeah. My scratch is going to be Jack Johnson, and I know he's played pretty decent and he's definitely been well above our expectations, but I can't help but seeing a lot out there the lack of speed that like sometimes he has it and sometimes he doesn't and generally rest is a factor but they were plenty rested for that game against columbus and he was still looking slow and and it's troubling um i know they like him a lot they like how they can count on him and he's 40 years old and everything like that strong big strong He's big, big, strong, hits people, things like that. <clears throat> um, but it's like we're, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see some of the things that, you know, have gotten them sort of black spots on in the analytics community, just by, you know, not not being able to be probably where he wants to be at, at the time he wants to be there. So it's like I, I, I don't want to see them become married to that Johnson and Johnson pairing. I would much rather see. You know, honestly, I'd much rather see Murray in there pretty much full time, and I know that's not going to happen. But it, you know, at least they'll they'll try to work those two back and forth because I, I think for certain opponents, probably Jack Johnson's going to be the right guy, and there are others where where Murray's going to be the right guy, and uh, <clears throat> that's not a situation that they're used to having. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they can figure that out but you know i i hope they can temper their expectations for jack johnson because you know he can hurt you which he did last night i feel like in one of the games they played well i commented that he looked overwhelmed like everyone else looked pretty solid but he started 
looking a little bit more frantic than everyone else. It was either the Minnesota or St. Louis game because those are obviously were the two games they played the best. So I see where you're coming from. I still think he's been generally solid. Yeah, but... and he's always very good in like the first period. It's, <laughs> you know, again, it's like everything comes down to like conditioning and like you know holding up playing more minutes than he probably should or playing more games than he probably should, that kind of thing. Like I, I do think that, that Jack Johnson can help this team if used properly, but it just, you can't delude yourself into thinking that like, if you play him 16, even strength minutes a night, every night that you're going to get that. Cause you won't. This is where we would love to see that fabled ro- old guy rotation, right? Where if right. you're playing four games a week, you can, why don't you split up Johnson and Murray? Yeah. And try not to run guys into the ground. Worth a shot. <laughs> right. And it's and what I also don't want to see is sort of this, you know, another level to this where, you know, you need to save Jack Johnson for later in the season as well. You know, it's like if you overplay Jack Johnson now, it's like he's going to be worthless later on. Well, that's the thing that you, know, you mentioned it, too is like, they act like every night is just so critical and and it is important yeah. to bank. And right now it kind of is it, so it's like <laughs> it is important to bank points and like i've said before i don't expect this season to at any point be like a cruise control season so it is going to be important for the standings every night to bank points but it's like they never think about sort of more of a long term do we really need to play? Because they are going to start playing four games a week. Nobody outside your top guys should be playing four games a week. And they don't seem to think of it that way. And I'll just say my honorable mention for scratching is Joe's because he's honestly been pretty horrible. But I don't want to talk about him. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a scratch. You all know it's coming, right? How low-hanging fruit is it, though? Oh, it's not. It's not. Okay. Okay. McKinnon. <laughs> I don't like how he's played. The whole, you know, pouty boy is just not doing it for me anymore. Get the whole competitive blah 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 wants to win so bad. Like he's got to see ownership of it at some point. You just can't go out there night after night and just be terrible half the game because you're not scoring a goal or someone didn't get the puck to you perfectly. Or somebody hit you, like you just you're gonna have to get over it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm really not happy. And he gets a free pass. Like people say, oh, you know, that turnover is terrible. But in general, everyone's just like, oh, it's Nathan McKinnon. I mean, he's just the most fabulous guy ever. He's the heart finalist, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not saying bench him or anything insane like that, but you know, the guy needs to be held accountable. They're going to give him 12 plus million dollars, say goodbye to a whole lot of other players because of him. Like, this, this is the you're hitched to. And when they, let's say they bow out in the second round or God forbid earlier this year, everyone's going to be like, oh, now it's time to trade Gerard, make the big move. No, the big move is to make a big decision is what the big move would be. I'm not saying do it, but I'm saying if you're going to start saying fire Bednar and all these drastic things, 
you need to start looking at his direction because if he doesn't get it together and start leading this team, they're not going to go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Started <laughs> dropping bomb. And no, I don't care. How, how, how do I follow that? You could scratch Frank for not playing a, a single game under a contract he signed almost two years ago. I never thought of it like that. It's essentially ro- robbery, isn't it? <laughs> or social security, or ah, uh, you know, while we're on this. Uh, running theme of low-hanging fruit, I'm going to have to point my uh, attention towards uh, Samporanta. Oh, that's a conversation, Vlad, if you're trying to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) We are at two minutes, two hours and three minutes as of right now. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have more more to come on our beloved number 75. He'd be fine if Bo was an offside. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it it was very sad to see his goal get taken away. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure Bo feels awful about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would have been interesting to hear the conversation after that one. But Sampo is interesting because you know there's very wide opinions about his play. It's just a tough one. I'll just say that because. Um, it is interesting that he he seems to be getting rope that nobody else seems to get, and, and we'll see how long that lasts. But if if you're being very harsh on him on his defensive play, then uh, all those other dudes from the AHL need to be looked at that harshly for their defensive play. I'll just put it that way. I mean, I I I sort of agree with Vlad, and it's not because of his defensive play, which I don't think has been that awful but it you do you do find him sneakily around some of the the horror goals let in um but again you know it's like if you don't expect that with a guy with his experience level and age and things like that it's like that that, you know these are things this is how he learns he's also Um, on the second line which it's probably it's a little over his head yeah but I, I think the fact that he hasn't like fallen ass backwards, you know, into a point yet is it, something that that frustrates him, and it might be holding him back because um, like he's developing a fair amount of shots for someone with the kind of ice time he gets. You know, he's 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 doing everything but but putting up the points, and I know that's what everyone's going to measure him by. Um, you just want to see it because I, I I do think if he gets you know an assist and then you know maybe a couple games later he gets another and then maybe a goal after that it's like I you know I think it it will start flowing for him. And he's a guy that runs very heavily on confidence, like ever does to a degree, but like, yeah. he very much does. Like some guys, like Burakovsky, he just that's just his engine is confident, and I think samples a lot the same way. But yeah, I I don't think you're out of line at all for saying that, Vlad. And it's I I know it's subjective with you know the eye test and the numbers because you you like you mentioned Earl, he's kind of been 
it's like guilt, guilty by association with him and those goals against. It was so right. not to trot out, you know, a tired old cliche, but he needs one game to get him going. And but we could say that about Tyson Jost. We could say that about Darren Helm. <laughs> we could say that about <laughs> so many so many guys. Like heck, we could even say that about Curtis McDermott if we really wanted to. But you might need more than we don't. Oh, he, oh yeah. McDermott totally is going to get like a butt goal one of these days, or or he's going to get that epic fight that all like the Twitter people are waiting for, and then it's going to be like, this is why we I, brought him in. Look at this amazing fight, I, and it'll. I honestly don't think anyone would fight him because I, I, it, <laughs> the way people seem to chirp him, they're like, I'm not going to fight you, you fucking plug, you know? <laughs> yeah, but someone will get angry. You know what's going to happen, but. Um, you know, just the sample thing, get back to sample is just, it'd be nice to know what their plan is. Like, are they, are they really committed to him or is he going to be a guy that just gets traded out for new hook? You know, I wish that they would commit to him. I hope that that's what they're going to do. Like a couple weeks in the AHL wouldn't hurt him, but I don't think he needs to be there for like months because a, you don't learn defense in the AHL. And B, I just don't think that's like the slow path is gonna do much for him. I mean, I, I mean, obviously he needs to work on defense, but I don't think that's what they're looking for. I mean, I, I think the reason he was, you know, he made the team and stayed on the team is they thought that you know he could be a good forechecking presence and and help create some offense. <clears throat> and I think it's he's like it, it's not his done that. fault in and of himself that, you know, like he's not on the ice for lots of goals. You know, it's just like no one is scoring that much because you have a bunch of people that you know, have never played together and, and maybe aren't permanent NHL talents on the ice with them all the time. Um, but it just, you know, you, you need to see him break through and, and sort of like he had that breakthrough year with Minnesota last year. And I think it can you know, happen it gets... at the NHL level. It's just a matter of I do too. how long how long you're willing to wait for it. That's what I'm saying. I think that the the AHL might not help his defense, but if he did end up going down there and working on his offense and getting some confidence, I think he could bring that up to the NHL level. But then we get back to the same conversation. Is he going to be on power play one? What line is he going to be? Who are his line mates going to be? What role is he going to be in? Like he was on the third line when, when he arrived in the AHL last year, which then you could say he was doing things on the third line, which I think he could, but it just gets back to that whole big minutes thing. Like it just doesn't exist, especially in this system. So like people see, him sent down and think, oh, he's going to score like 10 goals when he gets there. It just doesn't work like that. So. I mean, I'd, I'm not putting a number on it. What I want to see him is is just, you know, finding some open ice and, and being able to, you know, have the game slow down for him, which it would down there. I think significantly after playing in the NHL for, you know, almost 10 games now. Well, that's um, why I say I think a short visit would be fine, but the whole like, oh, let's just try again next year. Like, like the ship will have sailed. If they don't get it figured out through this year, like, the ship has sailed. 
And I just hope they don't give up that easily. It's just... I don't think they will. I mean, he's just too talented for that. I mean, them not giving up. But it's like... Do you really want to put money on that? Yeah, but I mean, I just... I think he's suffering from the same thing that, that Newhook apparently was with, you know, a little bit of confidence and frustration. I mean, if he's not frustrated and, and lacking a little confidence right now, he's dead inside. I mean... Oh, I'm sure he is. You know, he, he's used to producing. But he four checks, so that's why they kept him. There you go. It's <laughs> all that matters. So the Avs will wrap up this week, uh, and the, wrap up this week in Columbus to finish out the series, the season series against the Blue Jackets on Saturday. That is a 5 p.m. Denver start time, and then another four days will come and go between the Avs' next two home games. The first of which will be on the 11th, uh, hosting. The Vancouver Canucks at Ball Arena. That is a 7 p.m. local start. Uh, for those that will be in attendance, it will be the first avalanche game in which attendees will have to provide either proof of full vaccination or negative COVID tests if you are planning on attending. And then Saturday the 13th is Hockey Fights Cancer, and that will be against the San Jose Sharks. That is a 7 p.m. puck drop at Ball before we go on the road three days later for a two-gamer to v- to Vancouver and then up to Seattle for the very first time ever. The Kraken. I think that'll be a good road trip for them. The first one wasn't too good. <laughs> <laughs> There's some novelty to you, it, let's just say. I, I like that it's not that, that deadly western canada slog they generally get early in the season where you have to play play like winnipeg calgary edmonton and vancouver all in one fell swoop yeah you're just biting off a little chunk of it here it'll be neat to play in seattle and then for those that don't know that vancouver game would be byram's homecoming so that could be fun it's a family reunion week abs will get to uh, say hello to old pals uh Phil Grubauer and Jonas Donskoy and uh, gone but hardly forgotten legend of the Kraken, uh, Curtis McDermott will get to go and see his old untrodden stopping grounds. Can we say hi to our fourth round pick? <laughs> and plus we get to see see Dries and Burroughs up in Vancouver. Oh. Those two games against Vancouver should be interesting. Because I'm not going to say, oh, they don't play defense. It's going to be easy. But just to have that type of game that might be a little bit more wide open. It could be, and it could be goals both directions. But it's just, it's at this point, I would say refreshing to play those kind of games. It's just more interesting. Like, it's nice to see often. So those could be fun. And I think San Jose is actually fairly decent. We'll see if it's just a mirage or not. But I think. Some of their and it is well. I'm not going to say they're like, <laughs> but I think they're playing a lot better than they just year. And then the game against Seattle will be interesting because obviously we've never played them, and just to see their style up close, different. Not really sure what to make him. I think it'll be interesting to see. Sort of the Avs top line, how they deal with Groovy. <laughs> Where they aim. <laughs> yeah. 
friendly fire? Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Hopefully they have the book as good as Vegas did. Though <laughs> so I'm sure we'll probably gather around the microphones here before the Avs take that road trip up to Vancouver here in a couple weeks. Definitely. Hopefully. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, uh, this was fun. A little overdue, but glad we were able to uh, kind of figure out what's uh, up and what's down. And we'll see where things lead out of this weekend and into next week's home games here with uh, Vancouver and San Jose. So for those of you that have uh, stayed up past your bedtimes, like all of us have in uh, this uh, particular episode, we appreciate you being here. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, AvsBR blog. And if you're not on our Twitch, why not? We're there too. <laughs> Same name. Jackie, Earl, thanks again. This was fun. Thank you. It was. Indeed. So we will see you next time. <laughs>